All right, welcome back to another episode of the Public Speakers Podcast. I'm here today with Cindy Skalicki, who is the CEO and founder of On Point Communications. She is based in Colorado. I found her because she posted something on LinkedIn. I commented under it, and now we're here. Hopefully, can deliver some value on this podcast. So, Cindy, let everybody know who you are, what you're doing currently right now in life, and then I'll get into a bunch of questions. Super. Well, thanks, Amit. It's really great to be here today. I am the owner of On Point Communications, which has been a, something I've started about four years ago. It's a messaging firm, a boutique messaging firm, and I basically provide two buckets of services. One is public speaking coaching. So anyone getting on a stage for any reason can be TED Talk, can be investor pitch, can be um, keynote speeches. I've even coached people on eulogies, believe it or not. Um, And then my second bucket is brand consulting. I have a deep background in branding from some global ad agencies and public relations. So I help small to medium-sized businesses help firm up their brand messaging. So that's a workshop typically. And then we work together to kind of crystallize those elevator pitches and things that people want to have at the ready, whether they're at a trade show or a networking conversation. So those are my two big buckets of services here at On Point. Just help people nail it from the stage or from the page. Awesome, awesome. Um, So you talked about how you had a background in uh, advertising. Uh, for a while, what created the inspiration or the necessity to transition from corporate advertising roles into your own kind of entrepreneurial venture that is focused on effective communication strategies? Great question. It's kind of a long jump. You know, my first job out of college was that ad agency in Chicago. And after that, due to the nothing of one of my professors in college, He suggested I continue forward and go to graduate school and study more of the topic that I studied in college, which is rhetoric. So speech communications is my my major. It's my um, bachelor's degree and my graduate degree. But I studied a a, like a niche of that called rhetoric and rhetorical theory. So I went to University of Georgia. I studied there. I taught public speaking there, did a, a little little bit of time at a PR firm, had my kids, and then I decided that I really wanted to find a way to help people get up on stage and really nail that messaging. Right. But let me just insert that, that this business, Amit, I never thought I was gonna start this, okay? I literally had all my kids going to all day school finally, right, about four years ago. And I started looking for part-time jobs because I wanted to bring in a little extra income. People wouldn't hire me because I had too many degrees and they were like, go find something you're better at that you're way overqualified. So I met a woman who does presentation skills coaching and I was like, wow, that's a thing, I could do that. Sign me up. (laughs) So we met for coffee, this friend of mine, Tannis, and she said to me at the end of the coffee, you know, Cindy, I'm rehearsing for a TEDx talk next month. Would you coach me? I said, sure. So I coached her. She pulled me aside by the end of the TED talk that she really nailed. And she said, you should do this. And that was the start of it. The presentation skills coach asked you to coach her? Yes. 
That's so interesting. What so you so you so you think that she really saw some value in just like how you communicated over coffee that she thought you could actually help her. So this is so interesting. I had a real insight during that coffee and what we talked a lot about was presentation skills and we all know people need help with that. Right. But I had apparently started talking to her a lot about how I really love the content development piece mm. of presentations. Absolutely. So I don't just help with the nonverbals and the stage stuff. I love to concoct the message right. and make it and write it so that it flows, so it's delivered well. So I do script writing and slide deck development. And she looked at me and said, oh, you do content development? And I said, yeah. She said, there aren't that many people out there that do that well. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And I was like, okay, wow, thanks for letting me know. And that's actually become one of the reasons a lot of people find such value at On Point is because we provide both you know, soup to nuts, content development, let's get the message right, and then let's deliver it beautifully. Yeah, I 1,000% I agree with that. My, my background is in high school speech and debate. Um, and I didn't do the speech part, I did the debate part, which was the speech is more of like sort of the technical elements of how to publicly speak at speech competitions. Mm -hmm. But the debate part was like, if you lose the argument, obviously you're public speaking, but if you lose the argument, you lose the debate, right? And, logic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's all about logic and rhetoric mm -hmm. and all of those types of things. Um, mm -hmm. And... For me, I, that's my background. So as I started transitioning into coaching when I graduated high school, it was mainly debate coaching. And then I transitioned to public speaking coaching. But because of my debate background, I was like, I'm going to help you with the message you're saying. I get the body movement, the hand gestures, the eye contact. That matters. But the message is what's going to leave an impact on people, which is right. what we want. You're exactly I, right. That's right. exactly right. And yeah. as I've been doing research on the industry, which is what I saw that On Point actually does differently, is like you don't care that much i mean there's a focus on eye contact emphasizes the value of your speech but it is not the singular focus of your speech so i'm assuming you really think your clients get a lot of value out of you guys actually helping create the content that's going to make an impact oh absolutely and i think that people need that outside perspective that we provide at on point because when you are so inside of that message and you can only see the, you can't see the forest for the trees, so to speak, right? You need someone else to come in. You know, so I do a ton of work with founders who are pitching investors, right? They're, they've got this company, they're going to angels or VCs for a lot of money, you know, looking for half a million, a million, whatever they're looking for. Right. They have to present the case for their business in five minutes or less. And to be able to squish all of that into five minutes on slides and have impact and great delivery, they need help bringing all that content and how do I order the content? How do I uh, organize the logical flow? And the story has to be there. All those things are hard to do when you're sitting in it all day long. So, yeah. I agree with that, especially when it's your craft and it's your baby. Sometimes it does help having someone else really dissect all the elements of what you're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm going to transition now into a different question that is still in line with what we're talking about. But in a nutshell, you went from the ad agency, you got to, you were in the corporate world, you were doing some teaching, you had coffee with somebody. That coffee turned into, hey, I think you want to coach me. You coach them. They nailed it. And you're like, hey, maybe I should do this full time. And now four years, you've been in it full time, helping clients, helping organizations. 
in a nutshell, how do people, based upon your experience, get over the fear of public speaking? They, okay, great question. How do they get over the fear? Well, first of all, that's kind of a process, as you probably know. First, they have to acknowledge the fear. Right. They have to understand that they are, that the reason they're not presenting well is because they're scared or nervous and the nerves are taking over. So they can tell me they're afraid of getting up on the stage because there's all these eyes looking at them, right? Which is completely common. But the way to get over that is to rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse. And I have a specific way of teaching people to rehearse okay. that is really valuable. And a lot of it also has to do with visualization. Right. So when people are ready to start when the content's tied up and has a pretty bow on it, there's a few things people should do to address that fear. One is practice the speech by themselves and out loud. Yep. So get it out of your head because it's not the same as it is out of your mouth. Get it out of your head and, and say the speech in front of a mirror while you're out on a walk, whatever. Then you need to start to rehearse it. And that means you bring people in to listen. You've got beating hearts in the audience, right? You've got people that have opinions and they're going to reflect. you got to do it in front of people. Then you're kind of performing. Yep. So step two is rehearsing. And, and a good way to get over the fear of rehearsing is to give your audience a job. And you say, hey, I'm, in, I'm trying to get lower on my fillers. Can you count them for me? Um, I've been working on this story and I've changed it a lot. Can you tell me if it makes sense? Am I on my product slide for too long? If you, if you were me, where might you cut it? You know, tell them what you're trying to do to make it really perfect and give them a job. Then you're not so scared of their feedback. So after you rehearse and you take in the feedback and you're open to that, then you start to finesse it. And the final step is to deliver that speech into your phone, okay, or onto your Zoom account. So you have this perfect recording in your pocket, right? Right. You've got this, I nailed it version in your phone, and then you can listen to it two, three times a day without having to actually perform it, which is takes a lot of energy, right? It takes a lot of energy to rehearse. And I'm at, I do this myself. I use this strategy when I am working out new content yeah. and I will pop on my zoom account, record myself with my slides, and I will watch it or listen to it back. Sometimes I'll even lay on the couch and visualize myself in front of the workshop group, giving it, listening to every word, feeling everything I'm gonna say and do. Yep. And it is, um, it's the best way to give your talk in front of the group before you even give your talk in front of the group. <laughs> so you've already done it. And by the time you're on the stage, like you've already given the talk to them in your mind. And so you're much less nervous. So uh, yeah. that, that's my tip on how to get over that fear. But you do have to commit to, to doing it. You have to commit to getting over it and commit to the rehearsing process. Right. I'm, I'm so happy I met you because we, we're like, you're just like speaking my soul right now. <laughs> uh, this room right behind me. So I have this dream one day, right? That hopefully in a couple of years, I'll be this international public speaker that travels around the world and gives keynotes. This huh? little tiny room in New Brunswick, New Jersey right now at college 
is where I walk back and forth and I imagine millions of people on this wall that, that are not here right now um, mm-hmm. giving a speech to you. And I swear it just feels as if, I don't have to manufacture it. I just, I start speaking and I feel as if people are watching. And because I feel as if people are watching when literally zero people are in this room, I feel like when I get on actual stages and I was recently on a stage a couple weeks ago, it's nothing, right? It's just, right. there's some jitters, but like at the end of the day, it's nothing. Well, you have this, I'm sure you're the same. I mean, anyone has a little bit of nervousness just from being excited, Absolutely. having the adrenaline. Absolutely, yes. That's different. That kind of energy should power you forward and help you do better. And it should, it should make energy. you feel excited for the actual process. Yeah, right. And, you know, you can do jumping jacks or listen to your favorite song as loud as you want to get you excited. But if you have a nervousness that's holding you back it's and it's causing you to do um, – certain nonverbal tics or fillers or avoid eye contact or worse blank out then you need to address it (laughs) so um well that's great that's a great visualization it works for athletes it works for musicians it works for actors it works for public speakers right and and the reason i ask everyone on that podcast that's kind of like the first or second question i ask them is how do you get over the fear of public speaking is because to me, I kind of think of public speaking as like a metaphor for life because I feel like all speaking is public speaking, whether it's on a camera that 100,000 people might watch or whether it's actually on a stage. Mm-hmm. And I feel like public speaking involves a couple of key elements. You have to take a risk. So you have to get mm-hmm. on that stage and you have to speak your truth. You have to mm-hmm. impact people. Right. So you have to have an impact on the actual audience that you're talking about. And, and finally, you can't care about what other people think because if you let their opinions overdetermine the ability for you to get on stage, not to mean that you don't take their criticism constructively, right. but you don't let it overpower your ability to speak, right. and you're not going to get anywhere in life. And I think that's everything for life and speaking as well. Mm-hmm. You have to take risks. You can't always listen to what other people think. And some of the happiest lives, I think we have some 2,000 years of documented evidence, is service, is impact on other people. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I, I think feel that's like, a great, great yeah. point. So I I feel like people who can communicate their existence and visualize it at at a level as as how we're talking about um, can legitimately get over the fear of public speaking, but better yet, find the inner voice that they have. And that Mm -hmm. getting over that fear of being able to communicate effectively, that Mm -hmm. changes the whole life game, right? Rather than just speaking game. Oh, completely. And, And in my experience, both personally and with clients, once you have gotten on a stage and totally nailed the talk, the feeling you have after that is like none other. And once you've really done an amazing job on a stage and you just, and you just know it, it's something you feel right. Once you've done that, you want to repeat that. And hopefully you've learned the mechanism and strategies to get there again. And that's what on point is all about. It's, it's, I want to get you to that feeling because it is a feeling. I mean, Amit, if you get on a stage and someone tells you that you nailed it, but you feel like you didn't, there's a big difference yep, there, right? Absolutely. When you feel it and you hear it, you know it in your bones, you want to repeat it. And then you start thinking, what did I do in order to nail that? Well, guess what? You knew your message backward and forward and inside and out so that you could do it in your sleep. Yep. And the way you know if someone is really good on a stage is you can sit in the audience and you don't see the wheels turning in their head. Mm. Right? right? You don't see them thinking about what's coming next, trying to remember a memorized line or looking back a slide to see where they are in their story. 
they know it so well that they can now engage with the audience and they can be begin to build that relationship with the audience instead of holding on to the the messaging that they're trying to remember and that's the breaking point yeah ne- next time we're in colorado we're getting coffee because you keep speaking through my soul right? like, <laughs> And it's, I mean, it's, I was literally, I, I had a TEDx talk tryout at my school a week ago. So uh, okay. there, there were 10 cool. speakers and they picked two people and they're going to be on the main stage in February. Um, so I went last year, um, last year I killed the talk. It was amazing. It had standing ovation. Didn't get picked because they had to pick one guy, one girl, the guy overcame cancer. I was like, all right, you got it. You got the talk. I'm like public speaking wise, objectively, probably not better, but like the story cancer, like, no, that's a, that's okay. way more important. Fair enough. Right. This year I went back. Um, and I felt it like that feeling of like, you killed it. I felt it last year. This year I went back, gave my speech and a lot of people in the audience came up to me after the speech. They're like, Oh my God, that was such an amazing concept. I really liked it. Blah, 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 blah. And me, I was like, there were three parts of this speech. I did not like oh and particularly because i only rehearsed my speech an hour before the speech like, oh, okay I made the speech a couple days but i rehearsed it six seven times an hour before mainly because college and you're running i know classes, super busy. sure so the lack of rehearsal i thought i could still get through and nail it like really yeah. nail it because of just like like i've been in this for a while but no like that lack of rehearsal led to me feeling really self-conscious and doing exactly what you said which was when I, I think the metric to know, one of the really good metrics that you put into words that no other guest on this podcast has put into words is, you know when you're nailing the speech when you're not focused on what you want to mm-hmm. say, when you're focused mm-hmm. on audience connection, because what you want to say is just part of the machine and it's coming yeah. next and it's coming next and your mind has not even memorized it, has absorbed it. And yes. you don't connect with the audience when you have to memorize and figure it out. Oh, completely. I'll never forget the experience and it's a story I tell a lot from when I first was working at at BBDO Chicago, which was this ad agency, you know, I got this enormous project that I had to present in front of uh, the Bayer corporate offices in New Jersey, actually. Um, I'm, you know, I was your age, Amit, and I'm out there and my promotion's on the line and I had this huge competitive review. I had to deliver in front of a couple hundred, pretty much all male managers. And, but I, I mean, Amit, I spent, such a ridiculous amount of time pouring over the data, learning every single slide, and then really making the connections on the insights of what I had to deliver. Right. And by the time, you know, and then I rehearsed it just so well because I knew I was going to be watched by everyone in the room was way older than me. I wanted and needed to do well for my own self and for my job. And I got up there And even before I started, I was like, I am so ready to show these people what I have figured out from this analysis and they are going to love this. I mean, I had it in my head and I did nail it. And I was told afterward, Cindy, you nailed it. And I was like, I know that felt so (laughs) awesome. And I mean, just that was really one of the first times that I realized, you know, I think I'm pretty good at this (laughs) and I like it, not just you know, but I like it. It's fun for me. And I, I get a thrill out of it and including the preparation stuff stuff. You know, I like delivering it, but I really enjoy the preparation as well. Right. And I, I think it's, it's important to recognize that after a conference, like, like I want, I went to a keynote yesterday and I asked a question and I started the question with uh, thank you for the keynote. It was really nice. I didn't believe the keynote was very nice at all, but I think people, right 
have to be nice after it's like after a performance on stage no one's gonna be like yeah that was so trash man like you wasted my hour of my life like no one's gonna be like that so i think it's very important to recognize your own gut because everyone else is gonna say Mm -hmm. it was good a lot of the times when you feel it was good and then they say it's good i think there's a different connection whereas if you know in your soul it's bad and everyone just reaffirms it's good then you become like this weird illusion of a speaker who's not really good at what they're doing well and i mean you make a great point because speaking in front of a lot of people is not an easy thing otherwise everyone would do it and so even if the person you listened to yesterday didn't nail it and wasn't the best you've ever heard Good for you for telling the person that they did well or that you enjoyed some morsel of it. Maybe you can pick something like, hey, I really liked your point about X and it made me think about this. How do you feel about that? You know, it's hard work and not everyone is good at it. But I I think that connects to your question about how do you help people get over their fears? I tell people, you know, you're not in high school anymore. The people in your audience They're not like reaching back for tomatoes to hurl them at you if you mess up, okay? They want you to win. They're in the audience to be entertained or educated or both. And they want you as a speaker to win on that stage. And if you mess up, they want you to regain your footing and they want you to recover and they want you to do well. So they're cheering for you unless you're at some kind of, you know, political debate or some offhanded, you know, situation your audience is out there and they want you to win so don't forget about that they're not your enemy they're supposed to be with you on the journey yeah that said it is the onus is on the speaker the onus is totally on the speaker to to do a good job and to bring it because if you don't prepare well that's on you right and that's why preparation is so important because you don't want to waste your audience's time so yeah, and, and the reason I wasn't particularly fond of yesterday's keynote, it was some venture capitalist who was like, here's seven ways to um, not get a startup, not get a, a venture capital funding or something. And the problem, okay. was, I, I think the content was amazing, but it felt like he was lecturing. And okay. he was just going through these slides one by one, and then there was like paragraphs. And I was like, I don't, like, come on, be more interactive. Like, you have a bunch of college kids waiting for you. But on some slides, like always, the, power, the slide just was messed up. The slide just wasn't there. He's like, oh. Nothing on this slide. Yeah. And he went impromptu, Shoot. right? And so that was a really good thing that he did, right? He was able to, like, just do it off the top of the head. Yeah, um, that's good. But, I mean, what would you say he needed? What was he lacking? If you, Because you're hitting on a point that I, I coach with, which is the difference between talking to your audience, which is like a reporting style. Right. And talking, I'm sorry, talking at your audience is a reporting style and talking to your audience is what we want to achieve. So what did this guy need last night that he didn't have? I, I think two things. I think one, he needed way more audience interaction. Um, yeah. So like actually getting the audience engaged, especially when you have college kids who are like on the grind, trying to be entrepreneurs, still have this big dream, getting totally. them into that uh, atmosphere by asking better questions. He did some audience interactions, which kind of like, objectively the crowd was dead when he like tried to do the punchline on the interaction so we're like okay this didn't Mm -hmm. really work out as we thought it would uh and and secondarily uh storytelling like i just think there needed to be more narrative to like the world of vc because the way he was doing it is if i was taking venture capital 101 oh yeah and it was like here's the things i need to look for and he started talking about all this stuff versus like spending less time on the seven things you need to focus on and yep. having an overarching philosophical foundation towards the purpose of yeah. capital is important or not important. 
Something like, imagine you're starting a company and you're trying to figure out how to get funding. What might you be looking for in terms of where to go for that money? Well, let's take, you know, or examples of companies, stories of companies that have both made it and some that have failed, you know. Right. Um, one, of, one of the, not to cut you off, but one of the interesting thing is like about 2,000 companies apply for their firm, about 35 get in. So super highly competitive. Yeah. And for the full 40 minutes, he does not mention a single company that they actually took in and talk about their product. Now, maybe there's some know. confidentiality, but I'm sure you could like talk about like the idea, right? And like, it just kind of felt really boring, so. Well, that's what he's missing is the audience interaction piece, which I can tell you clearly know a lot about. And that makes it interesting and it makes you feel like you're being talked to instead of talked at. And people don't like to be talked at, so. But you know the crazy thing, Cindy, is so many people in the audience were still taking pictures of him, wanted to ask questions after, wanted to take pictures with him. So I think to general audiences, even a person on the stage that is different from everybody else, is already a win to them, right? Regardless of some of the content sometimes, because you're like, you're doing something I cannot do. But to like, oh. but to like other more experienced people were like, now what are you saying? Can you really- Look how look how low the bar was set then, right? Because right. It's like, hey, you're up there teaching me something and maybe he's got great credibility because of where he's from and what he's done. But was it an engaging presentation to you and me? Probably not. And would he have had more engagement you know, I don't know what his overall purpose was. It sounds like it might have been a little more on the teaching end than the entertaining end and, you know, whatnot. But, yeah, those are two things he certainly sounds like he could have used to to move the needle, the story and the audience piece. It sounds so. like he needed to consult on point communication. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> actually not waste my 40 minutes. I, it was actually a class event. I had to go there. So I went okay. there. And I was like, oh, this is a key. I didn't even know it was a keynote. I was like, wow, this is interesting. I want to do this for a living. So like, I'm going to see him do it. And then I like start falling asleep. I'm like, oh, this was. Well, you know, one of the, I have a little video clip about how you can become a better speaker by sitting in an audience. And you did that yesterday. And I know you do it all the time, just based on short conversation. I can tell that you do that. But I, I say, you know, if you just, if you want to learn how to be a better speaker, you need to just tune your brain in when people are speaking yeah. and start, you know, analyzing them. How are they doing at speaking? Are they good and credible um, to be up on that stage? Talk to me about their nonverbals and their verbals. How about audience adaptation, right? What are they doing to, to bring me in? And that's, that's Aristotle's triangle, right? Speaker, audience, message. How are they doing as a speaker? How are they involving the audience? And what about their messaging as far as the content, the organization, the words on the slides, the sentence structure they're using verbally. I mean, you know that speaking is way different than writing yeah. and you should not, you should not write your speech like you write a paper and then just deliver it. Yep. Right. I mean, you need short sentences. Um, you know, usually shorter words are better than really long ones. If you can figure, you know, if you're talking scientific stuff and, there's so many things that you need to adapt from the written word to the spoken word if you really want to pack a punch. Yeah, and some of the best speakers are some of the most horrible writers and vice versa because it's just a different art style. Right, but they're using a different muscle completely depending on whether they're speaking or writing when it comes to, like, if you were to look at the script uh, versus looking at the article, hopefully they don't look the same, right? Right. Um, I want to transition a little bit uh, into some of the clients you work with. Has OnPoint consulted... Uh, clients that have really uh, important technical information that they're having a hard time communicating into like 
something that's easy for people to judge. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And when I worked for the PR firm in DC years ago, they were a healthcare only PR firm. And therefore most of the clients were science and technical terminology. Gotcha. So when I was there, my job as kind of a mid-level account service person was I had to, I had these scientific companies as clients and I had to pick up the phone and try to call media and get them to cover my client on the news that night or in an article. And I had to figure out how to explain what my client does in the simplest possible terms before they hung up the phone. Ah, interesting. <laughs> so that, it really made my, um, I was able to sharpen that tool. And so I love working with scientific companies I do most of that with um, the investor pitch work that I do. I work with a lot of scientists who have MDs or PhDs and they're doing, you know, stuff on a cellular level or else, you know, on the universe level. I'm actually in talking with Fermilab right now out of Illinois to go in and do a scientific messaging workshop for their researchers. Um, I, I go twice a year to um, NREL and I present scientific messaging workshops for research teams who are trying to decide, is my research commercializable? Should I try to take this out of the lab and make it into a company? Right. So I do a lot with um, scientific, you know, super smart people that are struggling to bring their language down a little bit. And it's a lot of fun because I'm just the right person. I don't know their science, but I do know how to do messaging. Right. <laughs> and so they need, they, they get frustrated. Well, they don't get frustrated, but when I say, I don't really, I still don't get it. They're like, okay, this is so good because this is exactly the muscle I need to flex in front of an investor or, you know, a committee member who doesn't know my stuff. So what would you yeah. say are some like tips, maybe like one good tip that you have for someone who is technical, who has a STEM background, who has created something really, really important. That's going to like make the world go round, but they're not going to sell it if they can't get it, it communicated mm -hmm. effectively. It, what is like an overarching philosophical reason for how, or, or strategy for how we can take technical stuff and turn it into consumable stuff? Find an analogy. Makes Find sense. a good <laughs> analogy. There was a uh, someone I worked with doing um, a startup in, I think, blood cancers or something, or something he was doing. And, and it like the second or third time that the group we were sitting with wasn't getting what they were doing. Finally, he was like, okay, so if you're driving down I-25, the main highway, that's like your artery. And if you exit, those are like the capillaries. And if you exit again, those are, you know, so he, he's like, what we're trying to do is bring a bulldozer down I-25 when there's snow and get rid of the plaque. You know, something that's a very loose analogy, but find something your audience is familiar with that is basic and figure out how to turn that into a way to explain your highly technical product. Because as soon as they get the analogy, you're done. You're like on the road, you're, you're ready to roll. You're like, oh, I, okay, now I totally get what you're talking about. And then you can start really humming through all the other stuff once they really click into the idea. So I'd say find an analogy. I, I think that's, that's perfect in a nutshell. I think, I think some of the, it's amazing how technical people, their brains are so analytical and it's so amazing. And then when it comes to like finding that analogy, it gets a little bit hard. I think the value proposition of a lot of the firms like, like yours is just, 
helping people see that third dimension of stuff. Because when you're so wrapped up in your code, sometimes it's hard to see what it looks like outside of that. Yeah, I mean, people have said to me like, or I've heard this a lot, you know, could you, how would you explain this to your grandmother? Right. How would you explain this to your, you know, your mom or an alien or, you know, that's a little of a stretch, but how would you explain this to someone who has nothing, none of your background and is at least able to grab hold of simple concepts and then go with you? You know, a lot of times speakers really fail when they get too ahead of themselves and they make a lot of assumptions about what their audience knows. And that's where they fall short. If you assume I know a lot about, you know, chemotherapy treatments at a cellular level, you would be wrong. <laughs> and I would need you to tell me a little bit so that I can come on board with you and then we can keep going. Right. So. A lot of times it really comes down to um, impromptu speaking as well. Like for me, ever since I was little, I remember I would play games with myself when I was bored and I would like see two things in a room, like water bottle and laptop. And I'd be like, what's the connection between these two? And I would find oh. some arbitrary link chain to connect a water bottle to laptops in some nice. station. And I would do this like a hundred times a, like a day. I'd just be really bored. And I didn't know subconsciously I was training myself so that when I entered speech and debate, I would be making these connections between arguments and it would make sense. Yeah. And, and, and so I think like when, when we're taking technical stuff, as long as we know a baseline about what it's about, then the connection becomes really simple to like, what does everyone else in the world relate to and then how can we make that connection i am gonna play that game with my kids and then i'm gonna play that game in my workshops that's, that's awesome. awesome i think that's 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 perfect and you you bring up another i story i just remembered that's pretty quick if we have time uh, my son when he was about 11 he brought home a, a homework assignment they were studying the industrial revolution okay and we had a worksheet and on the left side it said it's difficult to blank, blank, blank. So on the right side of the document, it said, so we invented blank, blank, blank. So he had to fill out the sheet. And so for example, it's, it's difficult to make computations of long math problems by hand. Right. And so the invention was, so we invented the calculator. And so it's difficult to travel long distances in a short period of time, so we invented planes, trains, and automobiles. So you get the idea. Well, I do this in my workshops because founders need a way to simply tell me what the problem is and how they're solving it. So, you know, for me, that would be, it's difficult for people to get up on a stage and feel confident and deliver a great message. So I provide public speaking coaching rooted in Aristotelian theory to help them nail it every time. So, you know, it's a really effective fill in the blank Right. elevated pitch and then you can grow it from there but it's the way that i open all of my workshops i make everybody stand up and just fill in those blanks right. and everybody in the room gets to know what everybody else is doing in super simple terms and it's worked really well so I, what would you say about a water bottle and a laptop on it so i'm gonna put on the spot so now we have to figure it out we have to figure it out yeah. okay. so a water bottle and a laptop so a water bottle's main purpose is for you to drink water uh, a laptop's main purpose is for you to browse the internet or use a lot of things. I think there's a couple connections. One, the best way to buy a cheap water bottle is to open your laptop and go to amazon.com. So then you can okay. order a water bottle that will allow you to actually drink water throughout the day because you like sucking on this little thing right here because it's fun <laughs> to drink water out of. 
Um, sometimes if your laptop overheats, you need to get water into an air conditioner in which it will transgress into air, which will allow the heating to go away a little bit because now it gets a little bit more colder in the room. So in one fact, the laptop creates the purpose or the, 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 the mechanism to achieve the water bottle via the application like Amazon to get the water bottle to your house. But in another sense, the water bottle saves the laptop from its inevitable end of existence of overheating because you're on so many different platforms on the day, like Amazon, in order to cool it down a little bit so we can actually use the mm. laptop for what we need. Nice. <laughs> well done. You've done this before. I've, that's I've good. done a water bottle and laptop before. But yeah, but like that, that's what I'm saying. It's like, and I was like, why am I able to do this on the spot when you just challenged me? It's like, because for 10 years, like, I just did this stuff and like, it makes sense. Okay. And, like, and how can we take what I just did and like, make some money off of it, right? And <laughs> like sell it, totally. help people, You right? can, right. that's a great exercise. I was thinking in very simple terms that about what they hold, you know, a water bottle holds a life-giving substance and a laptop holds, um, it's not life-giving, but it's kind of- It is life-giving. If we don't have this laptop, we're like, it is I know, it kind of consumes our lives, if you will. So I was going with what it's, what's inside of them, but that's a fun exercise. I like it. That's good stuff. <laughs> okay, so one day in five years, we're going to host a, a connect two things workshop together. Somewhere there you go. in the world. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I'm going to let you run in a bit. I just want I, just two more questions. Sure. Um, first, how, how big is on point? Do you have a big team yet? Is it kind of just you or how's the, the business side of it? Um, no, it's well, we're pretty small right now. It's me all the time. And then I have a I have a woman who also happens to have a rhetoric background, which is fantastic. She has a master's degree in rhetoric and she comes to help with workshops that I provide for brand consulting, for example, gotcha. um, and, and things of that nature. And I'm currently hiring for some of the admin positions that I need to fill to, so that I can put more time into doing what I love and less time into the tasks that can be automated. Um, so I'm looking for someone with, to help with social media and a virtual assistant, things like that. Um, in Q1 of 2020, I will be launching a new online course, um, which is Investor Pitch as Story is the name of the model that I developed that helps founders nail it with investor pitches. So I have lots of homework from, uh, from doing that launch coming up and that's why I need some help. But mostly it's, you know, every day it's me and then I have consultants I bring on when needed. So in terms of a, a one person band basically running this entire thing, you're, you're talking about you consult with all these clients and you go to these workshops and you go here. How did you get this much work as one person? Was it just word of mouth? Like, how did you become an expert in this in this industry? Well, I met I spent the first year slaving away at making a network. And I had more coffee than you could shake a stick at with people. Um, I got sick of it after a while, but I had to build relationships. And any chance that I could, I spoke in front of people. Right. And, you know, now I don't um, have to do that for free anymore, which is fantastic. But I'd go to networking meetings and every single time they would ask, would anybody like to introduce themselves or does anyone have an announcement? Any chance I could have to stand up and show that I'm well-spoken and organized in my thinking. And just to get my face up there, I would take it. And I always tell anyone building a business, being in front of people live and in front of groups of people live is your best networking 
tool. Yep. So it took me a solid year or so to get the beginnings of a network. And then I began to grow exponentially through referrals. I just did. I every I would say 90 plus percent of my business is referral based. I've started to really harness the power of LinkedIn and I'm getting more and more cold calls and cold emails through LinkedIn posts. You would be an example of that. Yeah. And um, and just by doing really good, high quality work and coaching, you end up getting more gigs. You know, I, I remember giving a workshop at a, a, a scientific lab and someone in the back of the room runs a scientific lab at another university. And she was like, that was great. Can I please have you come and do that again? So it's copy, paste, copy, paste. Right. And, um, and that's, that's how. Yeah, it's, it's actually, so uh, don't quit. <laughs> yeah. It's actually the best way to build a business, right? You're not throwing thousands of dollars into marketing. You're just getting the word out and slowly by slowly getting it to build up. Awesome. All mm -hmm. right. So yeah. that is the end of awesome. our podcast. Thank you so much for Cindy for being on. I'll let, I'll let you just uh, say where people can find you on social and then we will close it out. You bet. Thank you. Yes, I am at LinkedIn under Cindy Skalicki and also On Point Communications. I also have a website, of course, which is onpoint-communications.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram under those handles, and you can email me at uh, info at onpoint-communications.com. All right. If you are in Colorado, I, from our 40-minute conversation, think Cindy is probably the best person in Colorado to get some training on public speaking. Um, <laughs> so definitely check her out. Thanks, Amit. Of course. Thank you all for listening to the Public Speakers Podcast, and we'll see you on the next episode.